0: For you guys. Uh, it has been a crazy week at the Tyler house. I, uh, I We did a service at Christmas Eve at Journey that I honestly am not sure if I did good or not because I don't remember it because by the time I got home, I spent more time in the fetal position that week than I think since I was born. Uh, I had some sort of a massive flu virus that allowed me or uh, required me to sleep for many days. But I'm happy to report that I am up and running. And uh, I, I, again, I almost, I'm almost i scared to listen to the recording of the service because I have no idea what I said. Um, so uh, that was last week, and this is this week. And it's interesting because I feel like that as a church, we have ended 2010. Well, let me start here. If you're a visitor, first of all, I'm just kind of jumping right in. Thank you. (laughs) We're glad you're here. We're excited. My name is Darren. Uh, If you haven't met me before, I'm the the pastor here. Uh, Our little church is nine months old. We started on Easter Sunday nine months ago, and uh, God has just been so good. And we are a church that our name is—it might sound a little utilitarian. I was talking uh, with Tony and Lynn this week, actually. It's it's one of those names. It isn't actually very (laughs) fancy— But it's a, it's who we are. We're a conduit of the spirit. When Jesus saw the woman at the well, he said that from your belly, that rivers of living water would flow and made her a conduit, just a pipe. It's a piece of, you know, it's not fancy. It's just metal, and, but it does something very profound. It takes resources from a place with little and takes it to places in need. And so electricity around here, it flows through conduit. And so that's what we feel like God has called us to be as a conduit of his spirit. And when the spirit is moving, the fruit of that, the evidence, if you will, of the spirit moving is, well, we'll have to guess. Paul tells us in Galatians, he says, the fruit of the spirit is love. And yeah, the gifts of the spirit, they're alive and well, but the fruit, the proof of the spirit is love. And as a church, that's our goal, to be a conduit of his love, of his spirit to the community in front of us, to the world around us. And He's given us mission here in our town, and he's given us mission globally as well uh, in Africa, in Togo, Africa, in Haiti, right in America's backyard. We've been building uh, in Haiti for the last five years. In fact, we have a team that leaves this week again to Haiti. Um, They're going to go down and and oversee some of the stuff that's happening. Uh, If you've been if you have a good memory, you might remember that uh, on January 12 is the anniversary of the earthquake. And we have been investing in a celebration of life in Jacmel, Haiti. Uh, on Haiti, all of the churches in Jacmel, Haiti are coming together in this conduit. We've been able to financially support this. Uh, and we'll celebrate God's redemption and His power. And the countless lives that were lost, uh, which is a tragedy. But, uh, and also celebrating the countless lives or instead of that, celebrating the countless lives that have been won over to the Lord through this, uh, the awfulness that has happened. It, it, God always gets in the middle of something awful and can make something beautiful come from it. That's what he does. That's what he does best. It's what he did to you. It's what he did to me. And so we're going to celebrate that. We also just, uh, just this week from our Haiti Fund sent another $5,000 down to build another house. We talked to uh, Pastor Lafleur. If you go to conduitmission.org, you can see... Um, and I just felt like the last time we were down there, by the way, a lot of the ministries are um, expanding their tents, so to speak. They're kind of going all Jabez on Haiti. So they're, and they're doing good things. Like the, they're building bigger buildings and bigger facilities and churches. And, and we did some of that as well. We built a school. We expanded the walls of the church to, uh, to accommodate three times as many people. But uh, I just felt the Lord saying, look, that's all great and good. Uh, but if you're five years old and you're going home and sleeping in a tent, um, we've got to stop that. And so we started building houses. And you can build one for like five grand. It's, and honestly, the money hasn't been the problem. If anything, it's just the, how do you do it in the middle of this uh, muddy thing, and so we've utilitarian <laughs> construction, we're just doing what's in front of us. Uh, five of them so far have been constructed. There are five families with little, all of them with multiple children who are not sleeping in tents anymore, and our goal is to just expand that. I really feel like the number God gave us is 50 houses. No idea how we're going to do that, except for we're going to build the next one, <laughs> and then we're going to build the next one, and we're going to build the next one. So we've got in our fund so far towards that $60,000. Okay, so we can build cash. Cash-wise, we can build 12 of them right now. Uh, uh, Honestly, we just can't keep up with the manpower to build them fast enough. So I say all that to say, God is moving in our little conduit church, our job. In fact, the reason you're sitting on cheap little chairs, the reason you see a meet and more sign, very fancy, I know, behind you, is that we just feel like we want to keep our expenses extremely uh, aggressively low so that we're uh, we're not bootstrapped to some giant thing that we can't then go and use that money for the kingdom elsewhere, and, and we're going to talk actually more about that next week as to the, the entire year in review, but the highlight for me was in May when Overe, and if you've been around, you know this, but Overe Nelson, who was the voodoo priest who operated his little voodoo temple about 50 yards from where our church is uh, after five years. God bless him. He was stubborn um, of us loving his children that he had sired through different women, and he was in the community, but he was just just didn't you know, have anything to do with, with the Lord. Uh, but in May, he burned all his stuff and gave his life to Christ. And it was because of, he said this, because your kindness. Um, you were kind to my family when they, I didn't deserve it. You were feeding my children when I should have been. It was your kindness. And I thought, well, of course it is. It's, the Bible says your kindness that leads us to repentance. And so, as a little nickel and dime operation, that's what we're doing. If you're thinking, man, these chairs are not very comfortable, there's a lot of great churches with a lot of great comfortable chairs in town, and you and, and wouldn't be any hard feelings at all if, if it doesn't fit the mission or what God has called you to be. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. They're great pastors and great churches. This is what God has called us to be. And so, if you can tolerate an uncomfortable chair or these very fancy... Uh, uh, cafeteria tables, uh, and, and if you find any gum on the bottom of them, that's yours to keep. It's our gift to you this morning. So that's conduit. Thank you. Happy New Year. Uh, if you would open your Bible to the book of Second Corinthians, and by the way, if you're new here, there is a, uh, at the end of each row, there are little black boxes with uh, with uh, information cards, if you, if you want to fill that out. And then when the offering bucket at some point will mysteriously disappear in front of you, you can put that in there. And also, if you are new and you've been coming a while, and you say, man, I'd like to know more about Conduit Church. Um, we have a little bit of a problem in that we don't do membership here. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with it. We just can't find it in the Bible. So we just feel like we don't want to add things that weren't there to begin with. We'll, I feel like he's given us plenty to do with what's right in front of us. Let's just stick with that. So, so it kind of, but it, pragmatically, it kind of makes it a little difficult cause you know, how, how do we know if you wanna... So when I'm on January 23rd, if you write this down at my home, we're gonna host our first discover conduit discovery village thing at our house. And we got room for about five families for this first one. Uh, we're just gonna cook. It's gonna be a Sunday evening, come over to our house. We'd love to get to know you, love you to get to know us. Uh, and you'll be in our house, you really get to see us. Uh, don't look in, you know, under the stuff where we're shoving stuff before you get there. but. Uh, but you get to see us in that, and, and we'll tell you the history of the church, the story of how God started us as a Bible study three years ago and, and, and how it's unfolded into this. And, and, and then to say that if you, if you feel like, hey, God is, this is, I got buy-in with this to help you understand here are some ways that you can get involved with what we're doing and, and, and lock arms with what the Lord is doing here at Conduit. So that's January 23rd at, uh, at the Tyler House. If you want to do that, uh, email me, okay, if you can remember this, Darren Tyler. At Mac.com. You can remember that, right? Darren Tyler at Mac.com. Email me and uh, and we'll also put it in the email this week as well, so you can just reply to that email. So okay? Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Man, 2010 was a insane year. I'm surrounded by people who have had the ride of your lives this year in all kinds of forms, and fashions, and good, and bad, and ugly, and, and some of it's been amazing for some of you, and some of you barely made it to New Year's Eve. You're so bloody from the year, and if you remember one of the very first messages that I taught here in April of last year, I said this because I felt like we're, as a church as a gathering of people, not as a building, but as a group that God has gathered together about to go do some stuff. I don't know if you've ever poked a dragon in the butt before. Now, I have not, but I've, my, what I assume would happen was it would not be, it would be not a pleasant experience for the dragon. Do you know what I'm saying? And it might be a little surprising, and he might try to burn you. And so I feel like that what we are doing is that. We are poking a dragon in the butt as a church. Now, what the interview that I saw on CNN really brought home to me, and I felt like led to share to you then. And now in review, I think, okay, it's probably worth going back and revisiting this. It was a retired general who said that when he was flying uh, uh, flights, this has been a while back, but he was in World War II. He's an old guy. I could hardly understand him. And he said that when we were flying our bomber f- missions in World War II, so we didn't know, we didn't have obviously radar or GPS or any way to know if we were in the right place shooting at the right targets based upon technology. And if we were flying at night, which was a, a, a normal time to do that, he said this, the only way that we knew that we were in the right place was if we were getting shot at. He said that if we were flying over some country field, which it was hard, it was impossible to know from up in the air, it was, we just didn't know unless we were getting shot at. He said if we weren't getting shot at, we were worried that we had found some old abandoned farm town, And we're just destroying people's property because nobody, it was not worth defending, right? And that spoke to me volumes about what it is that God was calling us to do at Conduit, which is to fly into some dark places, to go to some dark areas, and to know that we'd probably get shot at. To know that. The way that we would know, and I say that because oftentimes the way that I was raised was that if we were getting attacked, so to speak, the first thought was, I must have sin in my life. I must have opened the door. I must have moved out from under God's protective umbrella. And that's why these things are happening to me. And I feel like that it's important for you to know, for me to know, that that's not always the case. That there's, when you are poking a dragon in the rear end, when you are going straight up to the gates of hell, there's going to be some resistance to that. It, it could be a little scary at times, maybe even a little uncomfortable. And I think that Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 sort of brings that home when he says in verse 3, for we, though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight, are not the weapons of the world on the contrary they have divine power to demolish strongholds we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of god and take captive every thought to make it obedient would you, would you pray with me i want to ask the lord into whenever we approach the scripture it's always good to ask the lord into it this is not a book to be read academically It's a communication from God to be discovered spiritually. So, Father, we ask for your word today to be a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. There's been so much resistance even this morning, Lord, to getting this message out. But we know that it is a message that you have for us. It's timely, it's important, and it is germane. We ask for you to be with us, to speak to us personally. In Jesus' name, amen. In December, there's a guy named Richard Holbrook, if you know who that name sounds familiar, if you've watched CNN, maybe he does, who had just come back from Afghanistan to present his report on how the war in Afghanistan is going. It had been a year since the surge of troops had been ordered, six months since it had been active on the ground, and so this was his report of how is it going. Now, Holbrook has been around a while. This is not his first time to the rodeo of negotiating in strange and unusual situations. Uh, If you remember the Bosnian-Serb conflict in the 90s, he was the guy that negotiated that. So Holbrook was called in as the Michael Jordan, if you will, of diplomacy to figure out what in the heck we got ourselves into in Afghanistan. And he's been over there working hard at figuring this out. Now, he had come back. This was his moment to the, the report that he'd been working on all year. Here's how it's going. He's going to give this report. And in one of those twists of fate that sort of bolsters the idea that truth is stranger than fiction, he actually never was able to give his report because on December 13th, he died. Unexpectedly, an aortic valve tore. And just one of those things, like, are you kidding me? This, this is the stuff that happens in movies, Now, in this report that he had, he was saying that the war is going better than we would like, but not nearly as good as we hope. And what he was really unpacking, and in Bill Kristol's book, Obama's Wars, he really drills down on this, was that we have been fighting in Afghanistan an enemy that by most accounts, there may have only been a hundred left in Afghanistan. So who in the heck is shooting us? If you remember, in 2003, uh, W landed on the deck of the uh, USS Abraham. Abraham, I'm sorry, Abram. <laughs> Abraham, it was a circumcised boat, sorry. Um, he <laughs> USS Abraham. And he gave the infamous, now, mission accomplished speech. Now he actually never used the phrase "mission accomplished," but there was a semi-ill-fated banner that was hanging over his head, uh, stating "mission accomplished." And now he was widely panned for this. Uh, it's the kind of stuff that Bill Maher can make a good two or three weeks last on his show. Jon Stewart was, you know, drunk on his own power after this. But the truth is this: now, "mission accomplished" meant this. We had toppled the Iraqi government. Saddam was hiding in a spider hole somewhere, and then a month later he gave the same kind of speech on Afghanistan, because the government, the central power, had been turned over. So, whether you want to call it a technicality, and and I understand you gotta kinda scrub the politics out of this to have this conversation, but it was right in that it was, we had invaded this country, We had done the big shock and awe. Toby Keith released a song, and we toppled the government. Mission accomplished. So why in the heck are we still getting shot at? 2,000 years ago, Jesus invaded earth, okay? In an invasion that had all the shock and awe, the coalition of the willing, everything you're hoping for in a good invasion. Okay, he was walking around healing people. Peter said in Acts chapter 8 that Jesus' resume, basically, is he went around doing good. It was on his business card. I do good. (laughs) Healing people, raising them from the dead, casting out demons, like big ticket stuff. Pigs running off the cliff, you know what I'm saying? Like crazy stuff. Huge shock and awe. And in a war, an invasion that involved a bloody climax, Jesus is pinned to a cross. Fallen apart at the seams in his physical body. The blood is flowing. And it seems that it's over for our hero, if you will. And he says these mysterious words. Not mysterious to us, but I assure you they were mysterious to Satan. It is finished. Te palesta. It is finished. Now, if you're Satan, it's like, what are you, what are you talking about? Keeping in mind, Satan, Not omnipresent not omniscient. We give him a lot more credit than he deserves. I'm sure they had board meetings for thousands of years. What the world does he mean? A virgin. What what is that? We have meetings about this in hell. How do we do this? What does this even mean? And it says, Paul would record later in Corinthians, that had Satan have known what was happening, he would never have crucified the Lord. Huge surprise. Huge upset. It is finished. Paul would record in Ephesians that he would go, he would descend. And he would go, and he would, those that were in what was referred to as Abraham's bosom, that he would go and preach freedom to them. He set the captives free, which is exactly what he said he was going to do. He said it in Luke when he gave his opening salvo, when he said, here's my mission statement, if you will. Come to preach the gospel to the poor, to set at liberty the captives. And so he's restoring freedom to those that had been held captive by the enemy, he secured the victory, he defeated sin. The only stronghold that Jesus had, or that Satan had in our life our sin. He defeated the victory was won, mission accomplished. So why in the world am I so bloody? How is it possible that you and I still find ourselves in the middle of bloody battles in the middle of ter- like terror going on in our lives friends and by the way, if you think that that 's hyperbole that I'm talking about with Jesus and that invasion, go with me to Revelation 12, parenthetically. Whenever something is happening in the world, okay, in the you and I deal, I'm not meaning to go all like Cohen brothers on here, I'm a matrixy here, but the, 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 there is a spiritual thing going on behind the scenes. And if you're looking for what was really happening at the time of Jesus' birth, Revelation 12 tells us that a wondrous sign appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. It's a metaphor speaking of Israel, not of Mary, by the way, of Israel. She was pregnant and cried out in pain. And as she was about to give birth, then another sign appeared in the heaven, and an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns. On his heads, and his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child at the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, listen to this, a male child who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. It's a reference to Isaiah, the prophecy, the messianic prophecy of Jesus who was to come. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. In verse 7, this is it. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, in case you're wondering, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And it goes on to say the very famous passage, that verse 11, that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not live their lives so much as to shrink from death. And we're gonna go into that in the weeks to come. But understand, I'm not making this stuff up. This is what was happening, is happening behind the scenes. And what is happening now, if you go with me to Ephesians, is that you and I are in a battle Where a mission, the central mission, the central government, if you will, of Satan has been broken. That being said, he is not, his henchmen are not going to give up anything that we don't take. They are alive and well in this earth right now. And we would all do good to remember that we have an enemy. 1 Peter 5, he actually says, you can write this down and go later, your enemy, the devil, not the enemy, your enemy, the devil, goes around as a roaring lion. You have an enemy. He has no interest in you doing well. He has no interest in you making an impact on his kingdom. And as a, if you're not a believer, in fact, if you go through the entirety of Scripture, there is no instance ever of the enemy attacking someone who wasn't a follower of God. Why would he? He doesn't need to. They're the hostages. He is after you and I to neutralize us, to freeze us, to paralyze us. And when you think about the war that we see in currently Afghanistan or Iraq, we see such a fascinating metaphor of the enemy that is our enemy today because they are hiding out in high places. They're hiding out in provincial territories where they've been given safe haven. The reason there were only a hundred of Al-Qaeda left in Afghanistan was because they moved next door. They're in Pakistan. What Holbrook's central theme was, hey, this is great that we're in Afghanistan. Our enemy isn't here anymore. Now what do we do? They were given safe passage. They'd come in, shoot our guys, blow our guys up, and go back and hide in their holes, in their high places, in their principalities, in their safe havens. And what Holbrook was suggesting was that we have got to go to them. Otherwise, we're just sitting around and waiting for them to attack us. The best defense is a great offense in a war situation. Yesterday in, uh, in uh, Pakistan, another one of United States drone planes killed 17 more militants because we're going to where they are to kill them in their high places, in their deal. And I'm telling you as a church that if we just sit around and wait, you're going to get shot because you are a sworn enemy of Satan. He would like nothing more than to freeze you, to paralyze you, and to weigh you down your enemy. And I'm telling you that as a church, as a body of believers, that our best defense is a good offense, to go to the high places, to go to the strong towers, to go to the provincial places where the enemy has his holds, and hit him head on. And in 2011, I want you to know as a church, that's what we're doing. We're going in, and we're going to come out on the other side victorious, because we have Jesus, the guy. We're not fighting For victory, we fight from a place of victory. Mission accomplished. We're just doing a cleanup. This is mopping up. Paul would tell us in Ephesians chapter 6, finally, brothers, verse 10, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Let me tell you this, by the way. If you're fighting with anybody, if, if you're fighting with your coworkers, if you're fighting with your family, your hubby, your kids, you're fighting the wrong enemy. If you don't hear anything else I say today, just like we, we've been doing in Afghanistan for all, we're kind of sitting there fighting people we're not fighting the real enemy. If you're fighting with your, your wife, your husband, your co- whoever it is, if, if you're mad at somebody, you're down on them. you're fighting the wrong enemy. It's just a red herring. It's, it's a waste of your time. we got to fight the real enemy, and it's not against flesh and blood. He says this, though, that we are fighting against principalities. Well, let's go back up uh, flesh and blood. I've got the NIV, so I'm going to do a little King James back and forth here. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities. If you've got a King James that says principalities and powers, against the powers of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We have a victory. (laughs) We have an enemy that is after us, attacking us. And Paul does a great job here of, of narrowing it down so we understand exactly who it is we're fighting. Because keeping in mind the enemy, again, he's not omnipresent. He may not even know your name as far as Satan himself goes. He's an angel okay? There's no record of him ever being omniscient. Again, there's probably board meetings. We probably got on high on the the to-do list a couple days this year at Conduit because we're, we're going right into the darkness. And so what he's done instead is he divides up into kingdoms. It says against principalities. And keep a finger there and go with me to Daniel. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but because he's not omnipresent, He sets up shop in different places. He gives authority to different of his minions in different places. And in Daniel 10, verse 12, Daniel had been praying, it says. It's on page 794. You're welcome. And then he continued, verse 12. This is... Michael the archangel. Daniel had been praying. He had been fasting. And 21 days later, Michael the angel shows up and he says this. Don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But look at this in verse 13. But the prince of Persian, the Persian kingdom, resisted me 21 days. Persia, which is modern-day Iran. You think there might be some problems going on there? Satan sets up kingdoms and fiefdoms here on earth and divides and conquers that way. There are very specific places, I believe, specifically in the Middle East. And if you wonder why, Jesus said he was going to come back to where? Israel, Jerusalem. So if you are the enemy, We know that for thousands of years, he did everything he could to wipe the Jewish people off the face of the earth because he needed to get, if he could do do away with the Jewish people, then Messiah could not come, okay? Didn't work, whoops. Now, on the other side, 2,000 years later, his goal, his mission, is to tear down the Jewish people again so that Jesus cannot return to where he said Because if there's no Israel to return to, Jesus' promise is broken, he's a liar, and he's no good. So, in the Middle East specifically. Why is it such a mess over there? Revelation 2, the church at Pergamum, it says, I know where you are. You're where Satan has his throne. That's in modern day Turkey. He has set up shop in these places. There are places on earth where you think, man, how on earth is it possible That so much bad could go wrong, I believe it's because we have an enemy that, again, is not omnipresent. So he sets up shop, he hands out responsibilities, targets specific areas, Look no further than Haiti. Now, there was a a talk at one point about, did somebody make a deal and sell Haiti to Satan? I don't know. The truth is, is what if they did? I mean, you could sell my house, but it doesn't count. Do you know what I'm saying? Because it's not yours. You don't have the authority to make that kind of a deal. So I don't know if that happened or if it'd even be a binding agreement and what court you even take it to. But the truth is, is this. If you go to a place like Haiti, you know that there is a darkness that exists there. And I don't care how unpolitically correct it is to say this. There is a darkness that exists in a people that gave their lives. People say this, that the first nation ever born out of slaves to form a nation was Haiti. That's not true. It was Israel. Israel was born out of captivity for 400 years in slavery. And God, out of his mercy and in his loving kindness, parked him in the desert, and he said, okay, look, I'm going to give you a couple things you need to do here. You don't know this because you've been a slave, and you didn't know this, but don't uh, kill your neighbor. Don't take his stuff. All you've ever known is people wanting to kill you and take your stuff. Don't do that. And he gave him 10 things, right down to, if you go to Leviticus, it's like it talks about uh, farming and, and uh, sustenance. Crop. It's things that they needed to know. If, look, It's in Leviticus. If you have to go to the bathroom, go out of town and bury it, okay? Don't do it in the river while you're taking a shower and washing your truck and your laundry. But nobody knew that in Haiti because God never, they didn't camp in the wilderness to know that. Rule number one, no other gods before me. The first thing that happened was their their former African religions began to mix with Catholicism, and from that was born a wicked and evil religion called voodoo that has a stronghold on this country, and I believe that there are principalities and powers in charge of Haiti, hurricane after hurricane, disaster after disaster, because of these principalities and powers. Now, I want you to know something. Good news. I've read the end of the book. They're all going to be thrown into the lake of fire, but in the meantime... These principalities and powers, we have a mop-up, we have a clean-up. When you go to Haiti, you are going right into a dark principality, a dark power that has hold over that area, the principalities of that. And the next thing he breaks it down to is he calls it authorities or powers. Now, in that particular word, authorities, if you remember Jesus had a conversation in Matthew 7 with a centurion and he said that I'm a man under authority and when I'm told to do this I do that when I tell this man to do that you do that and Jesus said I've never seen this great of faith not even in Israel and why was it because the guy understood authority a basic understanding of authority which is that I don't care what Satan says whatever demon is saying you have to do whatever in your life the answer is you don't have to he has no authority If the Canadian military comes in here and tries to arrest me, they can't because they don't have any authority to do that here. The enemy doesn't. Now, if I roll over and allow that to happen in my life, my fault. But Jesus, when he paid for that victory, set up a thing where this is, they don't have any authority over me. And your faith, a man under authority, a woman under authority, you don't have to there are principalities, okay, that are geographical in nature. There are authorities that attempt to bind you up in your own life. And look at this one, in ver- uh, the third one, it says, powers in this dark world. Now, that sounds great, and it would make a good book by Frank Peretti, but it actually means something. It, the word there actually talks about darkness in the frame of ignorance, stupidity. Why is it that you think the very first thing, the very first trick Satan ever played in Genesis was Satan saying to Eve, did he really say that? Seriously. To Jesus in the wilderness, he's quoting scripture out of context, okay? His trick of keeping you, keeping me ignorant of the word, darkness over you and over me. For decades in the American church, we did this thing where we thought, we'll just blow this up. We'll make big lights and huge show and, and maybe a 20-minute, 15-minute, and a 3-minute sermon. And then back to the fun for our teenagers. And we've raised a generation of biblically illiterate young people. Some of you are recovering from that. I believe it's part of the darkness over this world to keep us Stupid. Of ignorant of the promises that God has for us. We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks, but notice what Paul said is that your imaginations, your, those things that would set themselves up against God in your where? Mind. Darkness over you, the stupidity, the darkness of Scripture over you. And then it says spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. You ever feel like your prayers aren't being heard? <clears throat> like they're hitting some sort of a ceiling and not getting through? First of all, I want you to know, that's not true. But secondly, the enemy in the air. Paul would, in Ephesians 2, actually refer to Satan as the prince of the power of the air. I mean, think with me for a minute. All around us right now, we have access to some of the finest sin ever created by the enemy. All at the touch of our fingertips through the air. Wi-Fi in the air. I mean, I don't mean to over-spiritualize something. I'm not saying Wi-Fi is of the devil. But I'm just saying that all around us in the air, Satan is there, giving us all kinds of opportunities, the prince of the power of the air around us. We don't have to submit to him. Paul would say in Ephesians 2 that through their transgressions that they had followed the prince of the power of the air, but they don't have to do that anymore. We do not have to submit to the prince of the power of the air. Paul lays it out for you, and he lays it out for me. And some of you are like, look, Darren, I don't really know about this whole devil thing. I I want you to know that I believe that that is part of his plan. Power of darkness, keeping you dimly lit, keeping you not in the know that you have an enemy. Keeping you crouching and paralyzed with fear. I mean, again, the mirror image of what's happening with the war now, uh, and I believe it, like I showed you in Revelation, that there's often a, a physical thing going on in our natural world, in the world and there's a spiritual mirror going on. What is the very war that they have given us? It isn't that they're powerful. Al-Qaeda, I mean, they could hit a building, but you know what I mean, like North Korea, like they got nukes, they're powerful. That's a state central thing, there's power in that. But if you are a little nickel and dime operation, driving around in a beat-up pickup truck in the mountain of Africa. You have no power at all. What you have is fear. The war that we fight is a war on terrorism. What Satan would want more than anything in your life, not only physically and, and geopolitically, but personally, is to be paralyzed with fear, with terror, fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear that would paralyze you into doing nothing for the kingdom to neutralize you. And I believe that just like the word for Matt this morning is a word for us, fear not. Jesus, is a, he was asleep for crying out loud. The boat's going down, and Jesus is so not freaked out, he didn't even wake up. Fear not. Your enemy, the devil, would desire to come to you as a roaring lion to devour you. And many of you feel like, I'm in the jaws right now. I've been bloodied up this year. And that this is it. I understand exactly why this is happening. I recognize that there's an enemy. And, and I see that there are pr- rulers and there are principalities and there are powers. And what do I do about it? Paul, tell me, J- Jesus, what do I do about it? How do I deal with this? And for that, I need you to come back next week. <laughs> I feel like Ryan Seacrest. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, but I just, I got to take my time on this because this is really important. I mean, gang, I went to go put the signs up this morning. I, we forgot them up at the house, so I'm just tootling along. I had my phone off and I'm having a little Jesus time in the truck and guy's truck. And and I pull in to put my sign, the first sign down there by the road because I'm the pastor of sign placement. <laughs> and I look at my phone and there's like texts from my wife of, you're missing all the fire truck action in a email from Carrie with a picture of three fire trucks and a sheriff out front. They'd evacuated the whole building. Some random alarm that still nobody knows what happened is out. And Shannon was like, I don't even know if we can even have church because they're not telling us whether we can go in or not. They don't know. And and I remember I I hung up the phone, went to the next sign. I thought, we'll do it outside. I don't care. (laughs) Attack all you want. This building is at best just to keep us warm and from getting rained on. And we can put coats on and there's no rain, so let's go. But I would say to you this morning this, if you're in the middle of it, your victory is secure. This is a ground skirmish. The victory is won. But I would also say this, and worship guys, if you'd come back, I'd love to just spend a little bit of time in his presence. But if you personally have not been invaded by Jesus, if that invasion the invasion of all invasions that landed on the deserts of humanity 2,000 years ago has not reached your heart, then all of this is for naught. And I would like to invite you to join the resistance. I'd like you to join the battle. You don't have to sit on the benches dry and alone and wondering if there's any meaning in this thing. Come be a part of the battle with us. Allow Jesus to invade your heart. How does that happen? It's, it's awesome. All you have to do is believe. It says, follow me. Believe upon me. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And he will invade your heart and invite you not to become a bench warmer in the kingdom. There is no such thing. But invite you to be part of the resistance. To be a part of the ground war, and I want you to know, I'm 39 years old. I couldn't think of a better way to live. He promised us a life that was more abundant, and if you're a believer and you have been and you're experiencing that, come back next week. We're going to talk about it. But for you this morning, if you want to let the Lord invade your heart as we worship, just know I'm going to be right down here. I'd love to talk and pray with you. We're not going to make you come down front and spin you around a circle, whatever. Just come down and tap me on the shoulder, and I'll I'll pray with you. Or better, Greg back there. Raise your hand, Greg. Tim, any one of us can help you with that and just pray with you and and allow the Lord and invite you to become part of this resistance. But as we wind down, know that it is not a wind down, but a ramping up of an offense into the kingdom of darkness this year. On your behalf, on behalf of the kingdom, we are locking arms as the army of the Lord, marching forward to his imminent return. Would you stand and worship with us this morning?